You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. I'm Nick. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm a pastor here in Illini Life. It's been a minute. It's good to be back. Uh, I hope you've had a good, enjoyable break. Uh, if it was neither of those things, if it was neither restful or enjoyable, I think it, hopefully it was at least productive. That's the way I would describe my break. <laughs> uh, there's a lot that needed to get done, and it got done, thank the Lord. Uh, I know that's the, the reality of this time of year for a lot of us, right? There's deadlines uh, we're facing, there's projects, final exams are hanging out there just later this week, right? Uh, we can feel the academic pressure. I think I sense that as I've met with some of you, as we've talked throughout this week. And even those of you that aren't students, I, I think you probably feel the pressure too, right? There's the, the uh, finishing up projects before the holidays get here, resuming work after Thanksgiving break, Travel plans, holiday plans, who's making that dish, what gifts do I still need to purchase, right? There's just a, 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 a mountain of things on our to-do list. So in the midst of all those pressures and stresses, I want to invite you to set them aside and find your peace, find your rest in Jesus this morning. That's what we do when we gather here as a, as a body to worship. Now, those worries and strains, they still remain in our lives, right? But, but For a moment, let's pause and find our peace and our comfort in Jesus as we gather to worship. Would you do that with me this morning? I've been fighting to do it all morning. Well, as has already been mentioned, this is Advent. This is our second week of Advent, but it's Alani Life's first week because of being gone on break. The second week of Advent. And during Advent, it's a season for us to hold things in tension. A season for us to wrestle with stress and peace, as we were just talking about. The time for us to reflect back on the first coming of Jesus with celebration and excitement and look forward to the second, or the second coming with anticipation and excitement. We look back and we look forward. Tension. It's a time for us to reflect and refocus and a time to center our faith back on Jesus and prepare to celebrate his birth. I know many of you have been doing that in our Advent reading plan together. I love doing these plans with you and getting to see your reflections as we engage in there. I hope you'll join us in that if you haven't. Well, to facilitate our chance to reflect and find our peace in Jesus, we're going to do a Bible study here this morning, just like we do every other week. We get to dive into Scripture and see what the Lord has for us. I hope you've had a chance to study this passage in your small group. I love hearing how your discussions went each week. I know uh, some of those uh, key questions or uh, came back, filter their way back to me. I loved hearing some of them this week and going back and looking at the passage in a little bit fresher way and dig a little deeper. Hopefully we'll answer some of those questions and it's definitely shaped the direction that I think we'll have here this morning. Well, our passage, passage we're going to look at, it's from the prophet Isaiah. If you don't know Isaiah, he's an he's a Old Testament prophet and he's speaking to God's people in dark days of Israel. The fall of Israel has, has happened and, and is happening. The, pressure, the oppression of the, of the people by the, uh, the military superpowers of the day is undergoing. It's coming and continuing to come. The passage, it shows up, this passage we're going to read, it, it's famous. It shows up on Christmas cards. You've probably seen it before, heard it quoted even if you didn't know it was Isaiah. It's in songs. It's sung word for word 
in the beautiful classical piece of Handel's Messiah, which I love and encourage you to check out this week. It's a famous prophecy, and it's meant to offer hope in the face of dark days, hope in darkness. I want to give you a little bit of context to understand that darkness to this passage. And, um, you know, this is anchored in history, so let's understand the history around it. In 734 BC, so a long time ago, right? Assyria, maybe you remember them from world history, they were the military superpower of the day. And they invaded the northern kingdom of Israel and they conquered several cities. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 15. You can read more about what God's people were thinking and feeling at that point. Many of God's people there end up being deported, they're carried off to Assyria. Israel becomes, it's called a vassal state. So they're under the thumb of Assyria. They have to pay tribute to the Assyrians. They've given them money. They're forced labor. They have to share a a part of their crops. They're they're an oppressed nation. And the deportation of of the northern tribes, they produce this crisis of faith for God's people. They wonder, has God abandoned us? Is he really there anymore? And during this crisis in their lives, many in Israel are wrestling with doubt about God's goodness, God's power to save. And some, I'm sure, wondered, would, would God, would they ever find peace again in unity? Would they ever be God's people in the ways that they were, the way they were meant to be? And, and still, I think others, they, they, they clung to the hope that God had provided, a hope of being restored to being a great nation, to being under a leader like David, as promised. The kingdom would be restored, they put their hope in. The words of Isaiah in these dark days, they're a confession of somebody who holds that faith. A confession of faith in God and the future of God's people. That God would do what he said he would. Isaiah, he preached that God would fulfill his promise to David and raise up another leader who would bring redemption to Israel, that would restore it. This new David, he would bring salvation to a hopeless people. He would liberate them from their enemies and their oppressors, that Israel would forever live in peace under the leadership of this new king. Now, a fact I find fascinating about this passage we're going to read about, and we're going to read together, it's a prophecy Isaiah's offering in this moment. It's about future about the future. It's a prophecy of things to come, God's hope. And Isaiah is so secure in that hope. It's a, it's a rock-solid hope, like a lean-into-it-and-trust-it kind of hope. It's, it's secure. He's so secure in that hope that he writes this prophecy in past tense like it's already happened. It's concrete. It's already happened. It's coming. So it reads almost like history. But it's something to set the, the people's hope for what God is about to do. Israel, or Isaiah trusts in the words of God and he shares them with the people so that they can find their secure hope in him as well. This passage is all about hope. Secure hope. A light in the darkness. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So why don't we begin to unpass it, unpack our passage and see. Isaiah, he's going to re, uh, remind God's people that despite the darkness around them, God's light will not fade. It won't be snuffed out by Assyria or, or anyone, really. When all seems to have gone wrong, all seems to have been lost, hope in God remains for them. 
whatever circumstances they face, whatever circumstances we face, they won't be the end. God will overcome and he will reign on the throne. That's what we're going to see in our passage this morning. If you remember nothing else from what I say, nothing else sticks with you. Remember that despite the darkness, God's light will never fade. As we said, Isaiah's days were dark days, and I think we can relate to those in, in, in many ways. Past years have felt dark for many of us. But in the darkness, God chooses a prophet, Isaiah, to shine light, to bring hope. He reminds the people of the promise of, of the king like David that will be on the throne forever. He brings hope at a time of oppression, hope in confusion. When the threat of, he brings hope of a time when the threat of war will be gone, where peace will reign, where joy will reign, where God will reign, his love will be known. Let's unpack that. Let's see this in this passage. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it on. Go to Isaiah chapter 9, or we'll have the words on the screen as we walk through it, as we usually do. You can choose to do whichever's easiest for you to follow along. Uh, In these first five verses of this passage, that's where we're going to start this morning, it's all about God's grace to an undeserving people. Something I can relate to. The fall of the northern tribes, it was due to their unfaithfulness of following God. They abandoned God's covenant with them. They had abandoned him. Yet as we're going to see, he did not abandon them. He did not ultimately abandon them. Let's read these verses and see that. Picking up in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time... He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So here in these verses, we've seen a reversal of the darkness, right? Light shining in the darkness, gloom, anguish, contempt that the northern tribes had felt, the lands of Zebulon, Naphtali, Galilee, that's all the northern area. All that they had felt, all that negative, that anguish, gloom, it's gone, it's no longer there. What's about to happen will restore their glory and honor, and God is the one who does it. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. See, though they've been walking in the darkness of the Assyrian captivity, the oppression of the Assyrians, they've been overrun by foreign gods, a light is about to shine on them. Restoration is coming. A small remnant of the nation of God's people will be multiplied into a great nation, and God will be glorified for that. He'll be glorified in in the sounds of joy and praise as they bow down to him in worship is their true God. The people there are walking in spiritual darkness. And some are forced to worship foreign gods in other lands. Some are led astray by foreign worshipers in their own lands. And, and all are confused and wondering where God is and what he has done. 
This isn't what they thought it was supposed to be. They were supposed to be God's people, a great nation, and now they are crushed and decimated, beaten down, a fraction of what they used to be. They walk in darkness. They walk in darkness because their hearts strayed from God. They no longer experience his blessings because they traded them. They traded them for greed and false gods and sin. And God, God allowed them to be consumed by those things. They were consumed by the things they worshipped. They were held captive by others for straying from God, their protector. You know, sometimes, and not always, but sometimes, the darkness that's in our lives it's from our own choosing, our own wandering. Our getting what we actually thought we wanted and finding out it's our captor and not our freedom. Sometimes the darkness in our life, a lot of times the darkness in our life is from sin and brokenness around us and in our world. But sometimes it's from getting what we chose. Sometimes our feeling of God's absence is from wandering from him rather than him wandering from us. I love this, I love this, and I teach this to my son all the time when, when we're reading scripture. The, the Old Testament word for God's love for his people, it's used so often. One of the words, it's, it's has said, it's, it's an unwavering, never giving up, unstoppable kind of love. It's a love that is, you can trust and you can count on. It doesn't move, it doesn't change. And that's the same love God had for his people then and has for us today. He is the immovable. His love doesn't abandon us. The darkness we experience is not an indication of God's, the absence of God's love. Now that's unchanging. It's unearned. It's always there waiting for us. So when we find ourselves experiencing a darkness of our own choosing, we can return to the welcoming arms of a father whose love is still waiting when we feel the darkness of, of the evil that's been done around us or our world or the sin in our own lives that, that brings darkness and, and breaks us and oppresses us, we can turn to the love of God that is graciously waiting for us. The absence, God is not absent. His love is not absent, despite the darkness. And he reminded Israel of that through the words of Isaiah. Despite the darkness, God pours out his grace on his people. That's what I want you to see in this part of this passage. Despite the darkness, God poured out his grace on his people because he's a God of grace. He gives us what we don't deserve, right? His, his unchanging love. The same people that strayed from him will receive his presence again. He'll restore them. Their darkness, in their darkness, a great light will shine and it will overcome. They will be a great nation again. They will, he will restore their joy. Salvation is coming for those that are oppressed. The once great nation of Israel that's been fractured will be multiplied and expand. His people will be a great nation. He'll multiply them over and over again. His kingdom will have no end. Throughout history, crisis, hardship, pandemic, have struck the church of Jesus. And a remnant remain. Yet God multiplies his people over and over again, time and time again. 
His kingdom will not end. It will be overflowing. He will restore it. Let me keep reading and see where Isaiah takes this from grace and, and onward. We're going to pick back up in uh, verse 4 to continue off this section. Here we're going to see God free them from their oppressors and remove the threat of war from the military superpower, Assyria, that I mentioned earlier. So picking up in verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now here, Isaiah, he's prophesying about God removing the burdens of oppression of the Assyrians, freeing them from paying tribute, being slaves, and being under the thumb of this other nation. The rod of the oppressor will be broken. He makes reference to the days of the judges when, when Gideon and his army defeat Midian and free God's people from another oppressor and their celebration. God's people were freed then, and they will be freed again. Not only that, right, there's this image, this imagery of boots and garments of war being used as fuel for a fire because they don't need them for battle anymore. There's no reason to have these soiled battle weapons and and, uh, tools. We can burn them. War with Assyria, it's no longer going to be a looming threat. They don't need to worry about that. And as an aside, because I know this was one of the questions that was raised, uh, the prophets, they love to use this kind of language when they talk about God's peace coming. They love to use poetic language. Elsewhere, uh, Isaiah and others are going to refer to it as swords being beaten into plowshares. You don't need a sword. You can use it to cultivate the soil now. Predators laying down with each other in, in harmony rather than eating each other and fleeing. Children playing over the cobra's nest with no fear. There's No need to fear. They use this powerful figurative language to draw attention to the world we live in, in in its conflict, its bloodshed, its death. It's not as God intended it to be. And one day, he will eliminate it all. When his peace comes, when his wholeness comes, creation will be restored, and these things won't be needed. The tools of war will perish and burn. I think we intuitively know this, right? The world we live in is not as God intended it. It's not what God intended. The constant conflict, the loss of life over warfare or senseless gun violence, it's not what God intended for creation. Right? But even even that even more than that, the bitter bitter political divides we experience and see daily in our country, not as God intended. The angry discourse on our social media or even in just on our campus not as God intended. All these things, all these things will be eliminated and restored with God's peace. When warfare is set aside, one day, a day is coming, a day is coming, and I I welcome it, when Facebook will burn, when politics will burn, all these things will be fueled for the fire. There won't have to be social media where people tear each other apart anymore can live in peace with one another. A day is coming when society will be set free from these these ways of harming one another and 
creating hostility. A day is coming when we'll be free of all the things that hold us hostage, this plague included, right? A day is coming when the world will be set to right. We'll be free from the darkness that's all around us, that's in our hearts, that's in the world around us. That day is coming in full, but it's already arrived. It already came. It came because we live on the other side of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. As we're going to read about next, we live on the other side of the child promised. Let's keep reading. Isaiah finishes his prophecy with a description of the person that's going to bring all of this change, that's going to bring light to all of these hardships, that's going to bring the peace that eliminates those things. He goes on and he describes in detail that reign of that that child. Let's read, picking up in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A gift from God is the answer to the darkness. A gift from God. A child from God is the answer. A child is the one who will bring light to the dark times. Isaiah, he calls him a son, which invokes the language of the Davidic promise, the descendant of David that will be on the throne forever. A new king is coming. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are the ideals every son of David was to aspire to, was to achieve as king. This is what God intended for kingship of his people. And we know throughout history, we know from the story of Israel, no king could attain these. And so they waited for the greater king. They longed for the greater king. And Isaiah promises them. He reminds them he's coming. The promised king will forever be here. He will embody these virtues. This child, he's to be a king and a ruler over God's people. However, it's, it's becoming clear to Isaiah and, and those around him, he's not going to be a merely human king. He is the Messiah, the anointed of Yahweh. Israel, they, Isaiah saw this and Israel saw this very early on. This passage gets identified as a messianic prophet, a prophecy. They know this is speaking of the Messiah, some greater, something greater that's coming. This promised king, he's going to be a good king like David was, right? But, but even beyond that, with justice and righteousness, he's going to bring peace to an, of, from an everlasting kingdom. He's going to ever expand God's kingdom, multiply it over and over again. For, for a people in darkness, the promise God offered was a child who would be a savior, one who would free them from their oppressor, bring peace in the face of war, light to the darkness. In Isaiah's day, they looked forward to this coming child and they clung to him 
with hope. They clung to that promise. They placed their hope in deliverance through this child. And they were right to do so, just as God's people have been right to do so throughout all of history. It's the right place to put our hope for deliverance in this child. Because this is the only light that overcomes the darkness. Only light that overcomes all of the evil in the world. Despite the darkness that they lived in, despite the darkness we live in, a Savior is coming. Despite the darkness, a child is coming that will change everything and save it and save us all. This promised one, he is the Messiah, right? He's, he's known by a, four names here at least and a bunch more in the Old Testament. And I know some of you dug into this in your, in your uh, small group, so I want to give some attention to that. There, there's a list of names here, but these aren't exactly like names that you would give a child, right, on their birth certificate. And it wasn't for in Isaiah's day either. These are descriptors of what this child is going to be like. You know, in the Old Testament, well, we have these at least these four, right? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But then you find other ones in the Old Testament, right? Like Emmanuel, the Holy One of Israel, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, Son of Man. I mean, the list goes on. There's lots of ways of describing the Messiah in the Old Testament. And they all put emphasis on who he is, what he's like, what he does for us, our relationship with him. It's, you get the sense that it's, this figure is so other, so different from what they've experienced or what we've experienced, that our language just cannot grasp it in a simple name. And so there's multiple ways of describing him. Because in some sense, we just can't with our limits. He's so beyond what we've experienced. Isaiah, he tells us, just in these four names, he gives us a lot about the Messiah. He tells us he'll be wonderful counselor, right? Uh, I, could, I could use a wonderful counselor often in my life. It's a title that shows great wisdom and comfort as he guides and directs his people, right? The Messiah will have wisdom that surpasses even Solomon, great wise uh, son of David. He'll have true divine wisdom that brings assurance and comfort to those who need it. We're told he'll be called Mighty God, which is a fascinating term that Isaiah later takes and applies directly to God, which foreshadows the divine nature of this Messiah, this this coming child. He's going to wield the power of God and the fullness of God as he defends and protects his people from the powers of darkness. The child's going to be known as Everlasting Father. The fatherly love and affection expressed through this child, through this one who will lead his people. He'll, care, he'll, he'll offer care and devotion, sacrificing his life for his children. That's an everlasting father. And lastly, Isaiah calls him Prince of Peace. He'll put an end to war, both physically and spiritually in the world. Right, And the, and the concept of peace, uh, we, we kind of think of it maybe in our society as just you know, the end of war, peacetime, there's no wars going on that we're engaged in. But the biblical concept is so much richer. It's so much deeper. 
It's about wholeness, about making things complete, functioning as God intended them, restoration. So this child, he brings wholeness to everyone. He gives us his peace as we trust in him and let him lead us. That's the ruler Isaiah held up to look forward to. That's the hope they had to look forward to. Now, I'm sure the people, when they, when they saw the next godly king come along, uh, I'm sure they thought, this must be it, surely. Hezekiah, he must be this, this son, right? And they were sorely mistaken. He had his shortcomings. He wasn't the Messiah. And so they waited for a greater promised king. And for 700 years, after Isaiah spoke this prophecy, they waited 700 years. They waited to see this fulfilled. Until, right, until one day, in a stable in Bethlehem, nearly, nearly 200 years ago, a child arrived. And a light shone in the darkness so powerfully that darkness has never been able to overcome it and never will. Jesus is the promised child. He is the greater king. He's the wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, our prince of peace. He is who Isaiah looked forward to. He is the hope that we can put trust in. And the New Testament authors, they got this. They saw it. You can read it all over the Gospels. As we read Luke's Gospel, we see that that Jesus is this promised child, and Luke got it. He's the Messiah. He's the one that will save his people from their present darkness. Then and now and always, the angel declares it to the shepherds in the field in a passage you've probably heard on another Christmas card or Christmas movie. Luke tells us, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. A son in the line of David, the promised Messiah, or in Greek, Christ. This is the promised child Isaiah spoke of. Luke saw it. The angel saw it. The shepherds saw it. Do you see it? Have you seen it? Do you see Jesus as the Savior? in your present darkness, the light that's shown in the darkness. Not only that, he'll be, the, he'll be the ruler from the tribe of Judah that will shepherd God's people. And Matthew saw that and proclaims it. He says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And he applies that. Jesus fulfilling it. One will bring, he's the one that will bring gentle guidance like a shepherd, effective protection as a shepherd does, tender care and true peace for his sheep. Matthew saw Jesus clearly as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy about Messiah. He saw Jesus as the divine shepherd, the one that would care and protect. Do you? Is Jesus the one guiding and protecting you? Jesus is the one caring for you in your life? Have you found peace and rest in Jesus who cares for his sheep, who brings wholeness? Jesus is the light that entered the darkness. 
He's the light that entered the darkness through hope in Isaiah's days, in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, and in our lives daily. He declared himself the light of the world, as John records in his gospel. It says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light, will have the light of life. Jesus is the light that eradicates the darkness once and for all. Those that walk with him, we need not to fear darkness anymore. He's eliminated it. We're the children of light, and so let's walk in it, as Paul challenges the Ephesians. Have you chosen to be a child of God who walks in the light? Have you chosen to walk with Jesus and allow him to illuminate your footsteps? Have you invited Jesus into your life to bring light into the darkness around you? Jesus is the gracious Savior that overcomes the darkness. He's the promised one that Isaiah spoke of. He was made flesh in a manger in Bethlehem. And he's alive and reigning on the throne in God's kingdom today. His counsel, his protection, his fatherly love, and his peace are ours to be had by putting our trust in him and following him as our king. Some 700 years before the Messiah would arrive, Isaiah, in dark days, he didn't know it, but he was preaching about Jesus. And that hope carried them through. Jesus is the ultimate light that people found their hope in. Whether they knew it or not, he was the hope they looked to. Whatever darkness we face, Jesus is the hope that we look to. Jesus is the light that overcomes. When we put our faith in Jesus, we have a wonderful counselor. Are you looking for someone that will clear up your confusion and offering guidance in your life? Are you feeling lost and aimless, wondering... When are things finally going to change? When is that finally going to be done? When can I move on? I know I felt aimless and confused often this week. I've struggled with mental fatigue and stress and just tiredness at this time of year. In response, I need to turn to God and his word. I need to get engaged with it to encounter him. I need to listen to his wonderful counsel. There's only one person that can answer the hard questions our deep life questions that can anchor us. And that's Jesus, because Jesus is the light that overcomes. When we believe in Jesus, when we put our trust in him, we have a mighty God. Right? He's, he doesn't, we don't have to feel helpless or confused. There's an unstable world, an angry world all around us that I was talking about, Right? And I felt that this week. I felt helpless. I felt angry. I felt confused, especially at news of this new variant in the virus and wondering about all the uncertainty it's cast over future. Where are we headed, Lord? Is it more of the same? Maybe maybe for you, it's you're carrying a burden that's real heavy and you just can't do it alone anymore. We have a mighty God who has all the strength needed to carry that burden. A mighty God who can cut through the the unstable, angry world can defend and protect us. 
don't need to feel helpless. I can put my trust in him. There's nothing he can't carry. There's nothing he can't protect us from. He's able to save those who trust in him. He saved all who trust in him because Jesus is the light that overcomes all the darkness. When we believe in Jesus, we have an eternal father. We don't have to feel orphaned or alone. We don't have to feel like no one cares. We don't have to feel isolated and feel insecure. And this week I felt that. I felt isolated. <laughs> Often looking around to seeing fewer and fewer people in the church globally. Fewer and fewer co-workers on other campuses. Fewer and fewer people following Jesus that I knew years ago and walked with years ago. In those moments, I can feel a desperation. I can feel an abandonment. I can feel an aloneness. In those moments, I can turn to Jesus, my eternal Father, who doesn't leave me alone, who doesn't abandon me. We have one who's always there, whose arms and love are always there waiting for us. He's always concerned. He's always committed for the best of us. The best for us. Um, Our God is never going to leave us or forsake us. He didn't then and he won't now. Because Jesus is the light that overcomes all of it. And lastly, when when we trust in Jesus, we have a Prince of Peace. He is our ruler. When the storms are brewing in our heart, when we're feeling anxious and restless, and I felt that this week. I felt anxious as I see one thing slip off the to-do list and three more get added. And I wonder, is it ever going to end? Will I be buried under this work? Will I be buried under the, the decisions to make and the stress? Maybe you can relate to that. Uh, in moments like this, I just need to be reminded of the deep inner peace Jesus offers. My peace I give to you, he says. We've been made whole. We have a prince of peace as our ruler. I don't need to trust in my empty to-do list or completionist mentality that can be so crushing. Now I can trust in Jesus for my peace because he's the light that overcomes. And so Aligning Life has I invited you to, to lay down your burdens and find your peace in Jesus today, to find your rest in him. I encourage you to do so throughout this Advent season to find places to lay it down and trust in your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your eternal father, your prince of peace. Let us be people who abandon the darkness and the anguish and gloom and despair of our days and walk in the light and the fullness of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to eliminate the darkness. Whatever you face, he can overcome it. Would you pray with me?